0: slumpbusters it's time for episode 100 of the slumpbuster podcast i'm your host juju talk sports and my guest today is going to be my og co-host mma Dre andre Wynn. obviously it's the 100th episode it's the century mark i gotta bring back the classics i gotta bring back the people who have made this show possible on today's episode we talk Connor mcgregor the lakers big trade for westbrook and a skinny ben roethlisberger but before we do that folks it's time to give a shout out to our partner caveman coffee co caveman is a fantastic single source single origin goodness from a company with impeccable tastes and ethics the people behind it are beautiful souls and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better be better love harder and enjoy deeper guys i tell you their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning great way to start the day but why stop there they have their mammoth blends which i highly encourage you getting they had their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code SLUMP, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. CavemanCoffeeCo.com, promo code SLUMP. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code SLUMP and get yourself a case today. All right, guys, it's time for the podcast. Episode 100, Juju Sox Sports, MMA Dre. Let's get it, let's bust the slump, and let's enjoy Welcome in Slump Busters. We are finally here. Triple digits. Episode 100. Very special episode because it's not just episode 100. It's also a two-year anniversary. The logical choice for my guest today is Andre Wynn, MMA Dre, my OG co-host, the guy who kind of gave me the confidence to really get this thing started and uh, couldn't do it without you, man. So
1: welcome on. Welcome back. <laughs> Yeah, what's up, Juju? Thanks for having me back, and so I'm super excited to be back on the pod. Of course, not permanently, but whenever I can be a guest, I'm always excited to be back on. And and you know, congrats to you, and good luck with with your future endeavors. Uh, it's exciting to hear that you know you you've decided to hey, you're going to quit your job and pursue this as much as you can, and and that's that's awesome. I think it's super important, especially you know, do you want to work to make a living? Uh, and are you working so hard that you forget to have your life or can you mix the two? And, you know, it's something you enjoy and make your living off it. So I'm I'm super proud of you. And like I said, glad to be back on the pod.
0: Well, you said a quote a couple of weeks ago, whenever I was visiting town that really kind of like stood with me and really kind of mm-hmm. like registered in my brain uh, but that you'll never really get what you put into any job, you know, and to continue doing it and working at that pace while, while knowing it wasn't really my passion was something that, it's just registered with me and in a compilation of events too that have led up to this moment, finally having the confidence to say, this is what I want to do. And I, I know a couple of years ago, like, what would you first think whenever I like even threw the idea, let's, let's buy some mics, let's get this thing going. I, I know it was kind of more of like a hobby for you, where it was like something that I knew, like I wanted to really try and go into was kind
1: of like that, like thing
0: that said, yeah, I'm on board.
1: Yeah, no, like like you said, it was, it originally for me, it was just like, oh, oh, it'll be a cool hobby. Um, you know, you and I, we, we grew up at least from high school together. So I was like, it'll be a fun way to keep in touch with Juju. Who knows if we'll, we'll get any viewers or subscribers or listeners. And But what really started doing it for me is we got some really cool guests that were interested, and especially the point where they started reaching out to us. So at the start of any podcast, you have to reach out to the guests and Hey, can we talk to you? Would you mind coming on? Um, but by the end of our first year, we started getting uh, some really impressive guests that would, you know, offer to come on our show. We didn't even have to reach out to them. And it was just cool hearing different people's uh, experiences and perspectives. And, and one of the things that, you know, I value greatly is, you know, diversity and inclusion. And I know it's a buzzword for some people and they're like, Oh, you know, he's, he's just pandering to the left or whatever it is. But I think so many people have like such cool stories to tell. And, and no matter Uh, What your sport is, what your background is, uh, whether you're male, female, transgender, whatever it is, white, black, Asian, like there's so many cool stories and I think sports has all of it. Um, and like I said, it's regardless of sports. So there's cool athletes that have amazing stories to tell in football, basketball, table tennis, right? Some ping pong world champions out there, I'm sure have cool stories. So um, that's what, I, what I've what i really enjoyed. And so I'm glad that you're able to, to run with it, Juju.
0: So you're saying I got to drop in the DMs of a tennis table champion. That's the next mission. That's the next big episode.
1: I'm just saying we've got the Olympics going on and there are some impressive freaking ping pong players out there. Like they move so fast. I can barely hit the ball like one time and they're just balling it back and forth. So it's sick. I I actually do enjoy watching it whenever it is on the Olympics.
0: All the events that managed to make it to the Olympics. Now you see skateboarding is one of the biggest Olympic events out there, which basically just completely destroys the X Games. Uh, who
1: wants an X Games trophy when you have the potential to get a gold medal? Am I right? Yeah. And Sarah and I, we were actually talking about this and we were saying it's got to be somewhat disappointing for like some of the legends that we grew up with. I mean, they made Tony Hawk pro skater games, but he never had the chance at, at getting an Olympics, you know, but at the same time, I'm sure that he and a lot of uh, the other skateboarders that came before, I'm sure they're happy to see, you know, that their sport has grown from just a maybe counterculture you know, type thing or like, oh, that's just for emo middle schoolers and high schoolers, to now it's like getting the recognition that it deserves and it truly is a difficult sport. And I mean, even watching this first round of, of skateboarding, there's so many guys that are falling off the board just doing a simple mm-hmm. you know, grind or no slide or whatever the heck they call it. And you see just how difficult it is to be able to repeat a good run uh, at skateboarding.
0: It's certainly difficult to do anything in the Olympics. It's difficult for Team USA men's basketball to win in the Olympics, as we've found out.
1: <laughs> much harder than apparently I thought that it was. I thought it was almost guaranteed year after year, but we're not as automatic as we think.
0: When you see the names on that list and you're saying, we're, we're struggling, we're losing Nigeria, we're losing Australia, we're losing to France, those cowards, we're losing to the French, are you kidding me? Come on. I know no, we have yeah. listeners in France, so this is probably not going to age well with you, but <laughs> Hey, you know, me. we appreciate you, but you should not beat us in basketball. That is just not a thing that should register <laughs> when we yeah, have Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, you name it. And your best player is Rudy Gobert, who is a top 25 player, but that's it. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, if, if anything, props out, like props to France and, and them as a country. I think what I'm starting to realize and starting to notice, at least about USA basketball, is I think here in America we emphasize sometimes. I don't want to say they're the wrong values because they've gotten a lot of people very far and it's made them very successful. So if you think about it, every kid in America wants to be like a Steph Curry, where you know Steph is a, an amazing point guard, but What he's most known for is like his ISO threes, right? Like he can, he can shoot from, you know, 60 feet away from a basket, you know, do an ISO, you know, pull up three from that far out. And that's what Americans like, or, you know, we love seeing guys like Kevin Durant or whatever that. Just do it all themselves and can pull up from anywhere and take that shot and you know sink it right in your face and so i think we're emphasizing so much hey you need to be like a good one-on-one player you need to be a star player that we de-emphasize some of the fundamentals of like ball movement and getting everybody involved and making the right play you know and it, and it's a shame because you even see guys like lebron james get beat up for it you know skip bayless who Skip, I think, is, is sometimes just a troll, just a troll LeBron James, right? And I, I think everybody knows it, and it makes for good entertainment. But there's some people that truly beat up on LeBron James, even though he usually makes the right play, even if it means he passes up on that final shot. But then, you know, like I said, here in America, we beat up on guys like that, and we're like, no, you need to take the final shot. You need to be, you know, like Kobe gets glorified, and I love Kobe, you know, rest in peace. Uh, Michael Jordan, all those guys are, you know, all right, I'm going to be the one to take the final shot. But then when you have a team of five guys like that on the court, you're not playing the best form of basketball, you're playing the best form of basketball for each individual. And collectively as a team, which is, you know, how you have to win, it doesn't come out well. So those are my thoughts.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think probably, I agree with the team aspect of it. But I would say, that even if they are playing ISO ball, even if it is just individual one-on-one performances out there, five individual one-on-one performances each given night, those five players are still individually better than each of that group. <laughs> so I'm just saying, if Kevin Durant is failing to put up more than 20 points in a given matchup, that is a, Huge problem for historically the greatest scorer that we've ever seen, right? Easy money sniper. I'm just saying, you mentioned Skip Bayless. Skip has been hyping this one up. Not a great moment (laughs) for Kevin Durant, like in terms of taking over Team USA basketball. Uh, But you did mention LeBron. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you are a Lakers fan. Leads into one of the first big subjects of the day. Big breaking news. LeBron has a new teammate. I don't know if it's the best schematic fit, but he does have a new teammate. Russell Westbrook is going over to Los Angeles in a trade from the Washington Wizards. The Wizards in return will get Montrezl Harrell and Kyle Kuzma. So Kyle Kuzma has been involved in like 20 different trade situations over the last week. And we have finally resolution of where he's going. And Russ, 13 and three years actually might even be let's 14 to four years. Right. OKC. OKC Rockets Houston, Washington. Was yeah. Now he's going to be with the Lakers. That's incredible for a former MVP to be on the move so often, but here we are again, Russell Westbrook new home. It doesn't sound like a great fit on paper, but how are you feeling about Russ being out with the Lakers.
1: No, I agree. And I'm probably a little bit more hesitant than most Laker fans. Laker fans tend to be incredibly fanatic, right? And and they're like, my team can never do wrong. Everything is, is amazing for my team. And, you know, that's a part of being a fan is, is you want to be optimistic and you want to be, you know, on the bright side of everything. And when you put three superstars together, it seems like it'll be a, a good thing. But where my hesitation comes in is you know, like you said, like schematically, you have AD and LeBron, who both of them scored the majority of their points in the paint. That's just facts. AD, I think, was at or below average literally everywhere else on the court. Even mid-range, he was below average. Threes, he was below average. So he was just most efficient in the paint, and that's where he got most of his points. Same with LeBron. LeBron is average, I think, beyond the arc. But Mid-range, like LeBron, you know, below average, except for like once you get to the paint, then LeBron is above average. And if you look at Russell Westbrook, he's the exact same. Like he's at or below average from three. His mid-range game is, is okay. He might be average there, but where he thrives is in the paint and getting those layups and stuff like that. And so my worry is that they're all too similar when it comes to scoring. And so what you're ultimately doing now is just taking away from somebody's points in the paint and giving it to another one of the superstars without adding anything extra. That's really where my big concern is, especially when we, we sort of know what the winning formula is with LeBron as you typically need floor spacing. Now, I will say the championship we won with Anthony Davis did break that formula a little bit, but it was also kind of a weird year with COVID. And when you have like two superstars that are that good, right? It just overrides almost everything. But having a third in there, like you could try to say like, hey, there's just so much talent. Yeah, it beats everything anyways. But I just I just don't see it working.
0: One thing the Westbrook is going to provide is that aggressiveness, that athleticism, better defense than they could have got from other potential trade names that were being thrown around there. Of course, Damian Lillard was a popular choice by a lot of Lakers fans and would probably be an at the top of a wish list. Bradley Bill, of course, his former teammate in Washington, would have also been a perceived upgrade by most Lakers fans. The problem is, as you mentioned, it, it just, you look at the construct of this team, and this may be a more casual take. I know people push back against the casuals here, but whenever you think about the idea of a couple guys in LeBron and Westbrook who both play that similar style of, I want to drive and kick, I wanted, or I want to drive in the paint to the bucket, That does, like you said, create a little bit of a log jam. It does put some pressure on Anthony Davis to maybe swing outside occasionally more often than you would like him to. And one of his biggest strengths is that he can shoot from behind the arc. He is one of the more modern day big men in that regard. But you don't want to rely on that. You don't want to make that a big part of the game plan. I'm sure Frank Vogel doesn't really like the idea of doing that either, um, there's still a lot of off-season to go here. Obviously, free agency hasn't started, so they can still make some more moves to build this roster out a little bit. Um, but there's not uh, abundance of elite shooters out there on the market to kind of supplement for these guys' uh, lack of ability from beyond the arc. And I, I do think that that is a little bit worrisome when you think about the Lakers' chances um, compared to the rest of the West. Um, does it really fit? And then, of course, too, the biggest factor that this team faces and was the biggest factor in the 2021 season, health. What are we going to get from LeBron James in his late 30s? What are we going to get from Anthony Davis in his 20s? He still struggled to stay healthy and on the court. I think that's why a lot of people have put him in trade discussions. Similar to a Niners with a Jimmy Garoppolo, when you have a guy that just can't stay healthy, it doesn't matter how talented he is, your greatest ability is availability. And if he's not out there on the court next to LeBron James, then that just makes that entire trade, all those assets, all those young players that they gave up from the Lakers worthless. And I do think that that is one of the biggest things that Genie uh, Bus, the management has had to cope with, given that they traded so much to get AD. Is there a potential move that you're thinking the Lakers could do that would make you satisfied completely with the offseason and feel good about your chances? Uh, We've heard names like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry thrown around for a potential Raptors reunion in Los Angeles. What about that?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if we necessarily need those two. It would be nice to have like a good, you know, floor spacing guard, shooting guard specifically, but we don't really have cap space and I just don't see any other trades really working out real quick though, before I, before I finish up on, you know, the off season, what else I think we could do going back to your point on injuries Here's actually where I think there might be a bright spot with this and, and the way that things might work out altogether is the fact that we've seen, you know, two years, three years in a row now where LeBron has had to deal with injuries more so than he ever has before. If you remember, you know, the first year that LeBron was in L.A., uh, they were in the fourth seed and then LeBron got hurt. And that's when we fell out of the playoffs, even the year that we did win the championship. LeBron was in and out, in and out uh, sometimes, you know, he was definitely more consistent and healthy. AD was more consistent and healthy that year that we won the championship. Uh, but then this last season, both of them would be in or out, you know, just depending on the time. And AD especially uh, was hurt a lot more this season than, than, you know, this previous season before that. And so what I think is nice is Russ provides some consistency night overnight He's not known for getting injured, and he's known for just being tough and playing through things anyways. And there's the chance that maybe AD and Braun aren't always on the court anyways. So if AD does go out for a week, we at least still have two superstars, and I think we could still make it work with just Russ and just LeBron. Or if LeBron you know, goes out for an extended period of time, all right, now we just have to figure out how to make it work with Russ and AD. Um, And so that's where I do see the bright spot is the fact that 80s health is always a question And LeBron has gotten hurt more, you know, in the past few years than he has in his entire career. And so how likely is it that we'll have to put all three of them on a court, you know, for the entire season? I think it's probably, you know, very unlikely that they'll play, you know, obviously every single game together. Um, But there might even be stretches, like I said, where we only have two. And I think the chemistry between two out of the three can be really good. Uh, depending on the other pieces that we surround them. So that's why I do see sort of a bright spot is, is the consistency that we will get from Westbrook is that we'll at least always probably have two out of the three playing in in pretty much every single game, uh, barring of course, season ending injuries.
0: For all his flaws, Westbrook has gotten his teams to the playoffs consistently over the last few years. And Mm -hmm. if you could get to the playoffs with LeBron James on your team, anything can happen I think the biggest challenge is going to be, of course, that Western Conference is always fierce competition. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen yet with Chris Paul, but assuming he goes back to the Phoenix Suns, that team obviously showed that they are going to be a force to be reckoned with for some time now, as long as they get consistent play out of that point guard position. Uh, The only concern I would say for them is the Lakers did look like they were going to win that series before Anthony Davis got hurt. So the Lakers, when healthy, are perhaps a better team than the Phoenix Suns when you equal out the team from last year to this year. Uh, Moving forward, too, you have to assume with Jamal Murray, hopefully back for the Denver Nuggets, they're going to be competitive. Uh, The Utah Jazz A lot of people in that organization are probably frustrated with how that uh, series turned out with the Clippers. They look like they were going to win. Kawhi Leonard gets hurt, and they still can't pull it down and make it to the Western Conference Finals. Definitely a lot of disappointment there, but you look at Donovan Mitchell's ascension, Rudy Mm -hmm. Gobert, again, for getting a little bit exposed. He still is an elite defender. I mean, heck, again, we just started the show talking about Team USA. He's doing great stuff for France. You can't underrate how good Rudy Gobert is defensively. Again, going down the list. So Luka, we don't know what the Mavericks are going to do. The Mavericks could get a whole lot better this season. Luka's development is one of the biggest stories in the NBA currently. And then the Clippers are a little bit in dysfunction. They saw that they could win without Kawhi Leonard on the court. Uh, Paul George actually did play really well for them in the playoffs when Kawhi got hurt. But they do need two superstars. And if Kawhi Leonard decides not to return to them, that could just cause a domino effect that leads to the Clippers to be more of the six to seven, eight seeds somewhere in the West. Um, and then there's the big matchup. The one that all Lakers fans really are looking forward to the possibility of the Brooklyn Nets in the finals. If all three of those guys stay healthy, fun storyline, Kyrie versus LeBron Westbrook versus KD in a finals yep. and Harden and Harden just kind of so. being there being fat. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the other thing, the Does other team beef you... with
1: AD, <laughs> I guess we can <laughs> yeah, manufacture yeah. that. I'm sure they'll make it a storyline. The other team you forgot too is, is Golden State. I don't think Golden State's going to be slouches either. You know, they, they're, they're getting their whole team back, probably not as athletic and, you know, as explosive as they were a few years ago. But you don't necessarily need that when you've got the shooting prowess of, you know, Stephen Clay. So I think they'll still be tough. Uh, like you said, that that Nets matchup will be amazing. So that's Sarah's dad's favorite team at the moment. He's from New York, you know. So oh, what a bad ship. Lager. Yeah, jump ship Lager. from the Knicks, you know. But hey, it, it'll be an exciting matchup. And so no, you're you're exactly right. I don't, I don't think it'll be a cakewalk, but just the level of talent that they've got. It's going to be hard to beat the Lakers. And even last season, like you said, before AD going down, I actually had the Lakers beating the Suns. And I thought they would gentlemen sweep them. I thought Suns will get one game and that'll that'll be it. Unfortunately, AD went out and, and we all know what All bets were and, off. You know, all bets were off. I think when it does come back to your first question, though, about like what else can they do in the, in the off season, I really think it's going to be, you know, I think Dennis Schroeder have heard that Lakers have the rights to do sign and trade. So if they could do sign and trade, get another like good key piece to make like a good fourth player then you know even even a fifth player is is less important at that point right and we could we could do veteran minimums from there on out um which is which is exactly what I'm I'm thinking they'll probably do I'd like to keep uh Taylin Horton Tucker uh THT he's a good player I think you know he he had definitely signs of life in him uh last season and, and he was looking good when we needed him in a pinch um, so I'm I'm really just thinking, like, it's going to be about, like, what can you get on the margins, you know, and, and what players are still out there willing to sign veteran minimums. There's a lot of other big names, like you mentioned, you know, DeRozans and Lowry's and, you know, obviously Bradley Bill won't come because he's staying with the Wizards, probably. Uh, Buddy Healed was another name that was linked, but we're not going to be able to get any of those other guys, I don't think. And even another, you know, top tier, second tier player, I don't think we'll get, it's really going to be, can we find good veterans that can help us space the floor that are not going to come at a premium and they're willing to take a veteran minimum.
0: Here's going to be the beef. AD, James Harden, brow versus beard. Who has the most iconic facial hair? That is the beef right there. That's what's going to be put on the matchup
1: card. That is, that is a good beef. Did you hear that they're changing the rule too for Harden? That you can't lean into somebody to get a foul. How is he going to score?
0: <laughs> That's, that's the most it, that's dynamic exactly score score. No, I'm kidding. He he's still gonna be good, but definitely does take away one of his biggest assets in his game. It, that was getting ridiculous. I think most people who have followed the NBA, like, how is this a foul? Some some stupid stuff with the leg pushouts and stuff like that was just getting called fouls. It's
1: terrible, terrible no, officiating. And a lot of times they weren't even Actually trying to make the three, it was, let me just get in the air so I can get three free throws, you know, and kick my legs forward or jump into somebody and get my free, three free throws.
0: And Hey, so- I love Marcus Smart, but for all the much I love Marcus, yeah, he
1: uh, he's one of the biggest offenders of that too. <laughs> no, I think it makes the, the game much more exciting actually seeing guys want to, you know, actually score and not just get fouled the entire time.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we would be remiss obviously – we branded you MMA Dre, you know, mm-hmm. our MMA expert. So if we didn't get opinion on what transpired a couple of weeks ago on Conor McGregor, it would be a big mistake. Uh, we haven't even talked about it yet on this channel, obviously, because there's been such a void in our life from not having you on the channel, man. So <laughs> Conor, are people mistaken to say he's done after that fight? Because I think it's a freak injury, but I'll let you talk.
1: Yeah, I I've actually thought... He's been done probably since the Khabib fight, if I'm being honest. From a mental standpoint, I think he's been done ever since then. You know, the the Nate Diaz stuff, I did think a lot of it sort of got handed to him, um, especially in the rematch. Like, I don't think he looked that great in the rematch, but it was, you know, like, I just think stuff gets served to Connor on a silver platter. And there's something to be said about that when, you know, you've got a business to run and that's what Dana White's doing. He's running his business. He's making money. And if you've got a cash cow, you continue to feed that cash cow. But ever since then, Connor's gone off and, you know, he's explored his whiskey business. He's getting fights at bars because old men tell him his whiskey's trash. I mean, he's smashing buses. And to me personally, I just don't think his heart's really been in it. And if you take a look at, you know, even his, his you know, recent victory, I think the last one was over Donald Cerrone. And, and everybody knows that Cowboy's sort of over the hill too and probably needs to retire. He was even on a little bit of a skid before the Connor fight. Uh, let alone after the Connor fight. And so when your only win in, you know, the past few years, I think it's actually been like five years since he notched a win, has been over uh, a perennial gatekeeper in, in Cowboy Cerrone. And I love Cowboy. It's not a knock at him. He just never won the championship and he was never good enough to win the championship. Um, but he was always good enough to be, you know, top five. And so when you beat somebody that's always a gatekeeper, never championship level... And that's your only win in the past five years to me like it's hard to say that no you're not done and I think that the game has passed him up at a smaller weight class back when Connor was at 145 he had such tremendous power on the feet, he used some really interesting funky movement and motion on his feet that in some ways it almost mesmerized his opponents and he was able to put it together with his reach and his power and, and dominate down at a lower weight class. Now that he's gone up, you know, 155 and above, he doesn't have that reach advantage that he normally does. And his power is maybe comparable to everybody else. And when your power is comparable to everybody else, you're at a bigger weight class, you don't have a reach advantage. That means your skills have to be better than everybody else. And you can make the argument that yeah, on feet, he might still be better than a lot of fighters, but it's MMA and it's well-rounded. And so you've got to worry about takedowns, takedown defense, grappling on the mat. And so I think that just everybody else has sort of just transcended his skills and his talent. And I just don't think he has the drive anymore to get better, to be able to stay at the at the top tier. And so I think he's still probably a good fighter. I think he'll recover. He might come back and get another win, but will he be a champion again? I don't think so.
0: I think though, that you're kind of underrating him in this this sense, just because to say that he doesn't have that mental drive, I kind of don't believe you in a respect. The guy has been printing money for years. He is far and away the highest paid fighter in the UFC. And yet he's still taking the chance and the opportunity to go out there and accept a big money fight. And not a lot of people would still do that. Obviously, when you talk about a killer like Dustin Poirier across from you, um, it's not something that I, I think too many people who are satisfied and content would do. So I, I do think that that fighter spirit is still in Connor. And when it comes to the fight against Dustin itself, he did make a mistake. He tried to grapple. That is obviously not Connor's strong suit. Uh, when he went for that guillotine, it was clear that Dustin had the advantage there, was able to work his way out and then just punished him with those just brutal elbow shots. But even then, Connor still got his licks in too. He was able to get a really strong kick going on from guard. And I, I do think that it had that fight played out a little bit more. We could have seen some more um, adjustments, um, some more gamesmanship as Connor was starting to fill out that fight. It's a shame. I, I feel we got robbed of the rest of that fight. And I do think that it could have been one of the better fights of the last couple of years, um, especially for Connor, especially for Dustin. Had um, it not ended in the fashion it did, are, are you excited at all for the potential of Dustin versus Connor four?
1: Yeah, so I guess let me counter a few things that you said. And, and so here's why I still also think that he doesn't have the drive or the passion that he normally does. And I think, you know, to articulate this, I think Connor thought Dustin two was going to be an easy win. And that's why I think Connor was willing to take that fight. Because Connor he got starched against Khabib. And if anybody can get like an instant rematch, it probably would have been McGregor. I know that there was things going on with Khabib's father dying and, and things like that. And so it never happened. But you never see Connor when he gets completely dominated like that, you never see him ask for a rematch. He asked for a rematch with Dustin, in my opinion, because Dustin was on the rise. So Dustin had, had a few good wins. And so... Connor thought, hey, this will probably go like the first match or the first fight. And I can still say that, yeah, I've, I've still got it because Dustin's been going up, you know, up the ranks of lightweight. That didn't happen in the first fight. And then I think, you know, of course, there's always big money when it comes to rubber matches. So there's always big money. Like, think about the Nate Diaz loss that, that McGregor had. Everybody, I think, would still pay a whole lot of money to see, you know, Diaz and McGregor three just because it's a rubber match. And I think it was the same thing as like, oh, now it's one and one. You know, Dustin has one. Connor has one. Yeah, we want to see three. But in my opinion, I just thought like Dustin just dominated from from start to finish. And people were saying like, oh, he got a few good, good looks in. In my opinion, the only reason that McGregor went for a takedown is I think he was gassed. I've never seen McGregor go for a takedown. And logically, I don't understand why McGregor would even try to take down a BJJ black belt when McGregor knows that, you know, it's not a strong suit. And maybe you could just say like his camp is just running out of ideas or like that was a stupid call on his camp's part. Maybe uh, I think Kavanaugh is his coach's name. Maybe Kavanaugh was was telling him, hey, go for a takedown, try to mix it up and surprise him and catch Poirier off guard. But it's almost more dangerous to have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt on their back than, you know, it is to be underneath them. And, and so just to me, like, I, I just don't understand, like, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was out of desperation. And a lot of it is you can tell that McGregor gets gas still, you know, come first, second round. And so the game plan to beat McGregor is pretty simple. You make sure that you can make it out of the first and second round, you know, just don't get knocked out within that time. And if you can take him down, take him down, burn out all his energy. You'll get either a tap or come third round, you knock him out or get close to it to the point where you can get him on the ground anyways. Again, I don't know if McGregor has the heart that he once did, especially like seeing him get gassed that early. And like I said, get desperate that early. And no, I don't look forward to a Dustin and Connor four, just because I think Poirier has passed him. And I think if we run this fight a hundred times, I think Dustin wins 99 out of those hundred times from here on out. 99 out of a hundred. You're willing to make that bet, huh? I, I think so. I honestly am. Like I think Dustin has has passed him. Now granted, Connor still has power like I said, everybody always has a puncher's chance. but I don't think Connor's power has increased that much from when he was down at flyweight to where he's at now at lightweight. But I think Poye being up a little bit more and cutting less now has more stability and a better chin because when you do that, you're more hydrated. Uh, you, You know, you've just got more fluid in your brain, literally, right, you've got more water in your brain, you can bulk up a little bit and strengthen, you know, the muscles in your neck are what help stabilize your chin a little bit more and your shoulders and all that. And so I think Dustin can now hang with the power of a lot of the lightweights, including McGregor, but like McGregor just doesn't have as much. And like I said, I just don't think McGregor has the heart anymore.
0: I don't know. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Dustin Poirier would be the favorite in this next matchup. They said it's pretty much as done a deal can be. However, to say he doesn't have a heart, man. The guy had a broken leg and you could say it's just showmanship here, but the guy's yelling at Poirier, yelling at anyone to listen. Your wife's in my DMs, all this stuff. And I I just feel as though the guy's got balls, man at the base minimum, the guy's got balls. And I, I think that that counts for something that tells me that he still wants to be in that octagon and he
1: doesn't have to be. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's so much ball. I, it, part of it could have just been him trying to spare the embarrassment. Like, I think he literally got embarrassed in the, in the octagon and, and Connor fans will say no. And they'll just be like, Hey, what can you do about a broken leg? That snap. Like, hey, what I think can you he, do about a broken leg though? <laughs> it is true. Like 100%. Like I can't deny that. And I hope I hope McGregor's doing well. So I don't want anybody to to take this as like me wishing poorly on McGregor because I'm not. I would never wish poorly on any athlete. But I think like where I noticed in the fight is, like I said, Poirier was getting probably the better part of most of the exchanges. McGregor definitely got some good hits in there. But McGregor had to resort to something completely out of his wheelhouse, out of his game plan by trying to grapple, which he's never done. He had poor submissions. And at one point, some of us were like, oh man, maybe he does have, have Poye. But I don't think so. I don't think Poirier ever at once was concerned about the guillotine. And then McGregor had to resort to some cheap tricks too of pulling the gloves when you were doing up kicks. And maybe you could say, hey, that was just a matter of like he tried to hold on to the wrist and his hand accidentally slipped and opened, right? Because I, I understand that. As somebody that's done, you know, combat sports, things get slippery, your hand opens and and you just get caught or something. But, you know, I think McGregor was trying to trying to hold on to, you know, do cheap tricks. He's done things like that in the past where he punches fighters in the back of the head and stuff like that. And so, like, I think all of it together, seeing Connor go with, you know, a game plan out of desperation, seeing him do some of the cheap stuff on the ground by holding the gloves. I just don't think McGregor has really anything to offer, even to most of the top five guys at lightweight. I I think they all beat him.
0: Fair enough. You know, I mean, what's going to be unique to see next is going to be Dustin's ascension. Obviously, he's going for that title. That's his next fight um, can take Connor at least a year plus to recover from that brutal of an injury there. So what, what do you think of Dustin Poirier going for the championship? Do you think they have any potential of bringing Khabib out of retirement for that one? I know he's already beaten Poirier. So there is also that it would be a rematch.
1: Yeah, so I I don't think that Khabib comes out of retirement. I think Khabib truly is done. And and the reason why I say that is Khabib is different. He's not, I don't think he was ever necessarily fighting to make money, especially in Russia. If you're, like, in combat sports or, like, really any sport and you're a world champion, like, you're set for life. And, and people don't understand that about Russia. Like, Khabib will get a job like with the KGB if he has to. And, and, you know, Putin will set him up. Like, that's just the way it is for Olympic gold, you know, wrestlers, for, you know, MMA fighters that do well. They're set. And so, Khabib, I don't think that was his motivating factor. You see a lot of these guys that come out of retirement, it's usually because they go broke, right? Hey, I'm strapped for cash. Sometimes they just get the itch and they're like, hey, I want to get back in there. I've missed this. Um, But a lot of times it's because they've hit rock bottom or they're broke or something. They're like, I need to step back in. I don't think Khabib's going to do that. I also don't think Khabib will ever get that itch because it's something like, I think, a special bond that him and his dad shared. And since the passing of his dad, I think he had the motivation of, I want to get my one last win to show my dad, you know, like make my dad proud up there up there in heaven but after that like he's got nothing else to prove he went undefeated he cleaned out the entire lightweight division I would have liked to have seen him fight Michael Chandler that would have been an interesting one but timing didn't work out with you know getting getting Chandler from another organization into the UFC with all of that being said like I think Khabib's moved on to like hey I just want to be a businessman in Russia he's got his own fight league that he runs he does some coaching all that stuff. I think he's just chill. As far as Poirier, though, challenging for the belt, I think he's definitely earned it. I think he has a very good shot at it. I think Oliveira's smoother, in my opinion, and a better technician. And that might be where he can beat Poirier. But I've heard a lot of people that say, hey, we think Poirier is the true number one, and maybe it happens. So I'm I'm kind of 50-50 on this. I'm leaning still a little bit Oliveira. I just see like a lot of really really great technical things from Oliveira, but you never know and I'm like I said happy for, for Poirier to get that championship uh at least the the opportunity to fight for it do
0: you at least give Connor favorability against Jake Paul come on man okay Jake Paul absolutely
1: like if, if that's a fight that I that does materialize I not only give Connor you know the favorite in that I actually wouldn't mind seeing Connor win. Uh, I am not a particular, you know. Jake who do you hate fan. more? <laughs> exactly. It's who do you hate more? And at least like, at least Connor is a true combat sports athlete. And as much as I think he runs his mouth too much, he does sell pay-per-views. It's always exciting to watch Connor, And so I think he, he ends up winning that Jake Paul fight.
0: what do you think of Jake Paul sending over Poirier the uh, sleepy Connor necklace uh, with the caption, should I break the ankle off or you got this one? <laughs>
1: So I, I thought the sleepy Connor, you know, that necklace was a funny necklace. I like it. I just thought it was a little tasteless after Connor breaking his. I never wish bad on any athlete as much as I might hate him. And seeing that Connor broke his leg and that's how the fight ended. Uh, I did think that that was a little bit poor in taste, but you know, you get funny jabs and, and that's what happens when you're Connor though. Right. is like Connor's always taking funny jabs at people, regardless of, of their situation, regardless of, of their health and like Poye said you know karma's a mirror and that's sort of what what i think ultimately happened is now people make jokes at the expense of mcgregor
0: yeah i think what connor really did with his post fight interview is save himself from being a forever meme in the same way anderson silva never escaped his leg breaking incident uh Mm -hmm. still gets the uh spongebob my leg meme every now and then uh I, i think at least connor you're right did save a little face there uh, Jake Paul going against Tyron Woodley, though, here in a few weeks. What do you think of that one?
1: Yeah. I so mean, Woodley's has...
0: been kind of, you know, he was struggling in the UFC down the stretch there. So uh, a boxing match, that's certainly a change of pace for him.
1: Yeah, no, that, that one's going to be interesting. So I knew that Ben Askren would suck in that fight because Ben <laughs> Askren is the worst, the worst striker in history. Like He looked like he just showed up that day. Yeah.
0: He didn't, yeah, not he... even in shape, no muscle definition. He worked worse than me without his shirt on.
1: No, it was awful. And and his striking style is, is pure garbage. Like, I was talking to one of my friends, Andrew, about this. And Andrew was like, who do you got winning? And I was like, I think I've got Paul. And he's like, why? He's like, Ben Askren was, you know, a D1 champion, wrestled in the Olympics, all this stuff. And I was like, have you seen Ben Askren's boxing? Like, it is garbage. It is trash. And the only reason why he was even a good MMA fighter is because they have submissions. Like, he was getting wrecked by Robbie Lawler until he fell into that bulldog choke. And no, Robbie Lawler, I don't think, was getting out of that bulldog choke at any point anyways. But, like, if it wasn't for grappling, there's no way Askren could ever transition into combat sports. Why I bring that up, though, is I don't think Woodley is like that. So Askren the way that he got to be a D1 champion and even Olympian is because he does really funky, weird things that at that time, nobody else was doing. And so nobody really knew how to compete with the funk of Askrin at, you know, the D1 and Olympic levels. But now we have such good athletes that are competing in the Olympics for wrestling, such good athletes that are, you know, competing in D1, you know, NCAA wrestling championships that I I personally don't know if Askren would be a champion today. And in fact, I don't think that he would. Whereas Woodley is a good athlete. Like the reason he was good at wrestling is because he's a freak of nature athlete. The reason why he was, you know, a, a champion in the UFC is because he was a freak of nature athlete. And you combine that with, you know, his ability to strike and things like that. And so I would give the edge to Woodley. I think he's got more power. I think he is a better athlete. He's, you know, had more actual fighting experience because Paul really has only ever fought, basically, bums off the street.
0: Nate Robinson and, of course, Ben Askren. Ben Askren.
1: Like, and that's it. And we know, like I said, Askren doesn't have any, like, striking skill. And Nate Robinson was just a good basketball player. Yeah,
0: if it was a slam dunk contest, ah, yeah, Jake Paul would be in trouble there. But, uh, yeah, what is it? You you can't fake boxing. You can't play boxing. (laughs) That's not how that works. Uh, Listen, I'll say this for the Paul brothers. I do think that they are – Real boxers, and what, what I mean in mm-hmm. that, that, not saying that they're the elite boxers, not saying they're Floyd Mayweather, even though I guess technically that fight happened, or Muhammad Ali, but they are in fact real boxers. Like their technique, the guy does have a good finishing blow, his knockout punch is legit. So, heck, if he catches Woodley with one of those, it could be lights out. These guys are athletes as well, um, in a certain amount of respect. You know, there may be some questions of juicy juice going on there, but still. Uh, they are athletes. Woodley, though, you mentioned he, he's a fighter. He's a striker. He's a way better athlete than Ben Askren could ever dream to be. Given those factors, he should be able to beat Jake Paul in this fight. However, anything can happen. And, you know, he just got to guard his chin because it just takes one of those blows. It, it really does. With how much power Jake Paul is actually able to generate, it could just take one so I'm sure Woodley's going to take the fight seriously that's going to be his biggest advantage in this one I don't think Ashwin ever took it seriously again
1: he literally looked like he just showed up you would expect some sort of training program nothing (laughs) yeah and the, the other thing that I that I will say that you know you sort of mentioned where I might give Jake Paul a little bit of an edge is that striking and boxing truly is different from MMA because MMA you're so worried about kicks and knees and elbows and punches and everything flying from everywhere, takedowns that you are a little bit more hesitant. And if you've ever watched a Woodley fight, like Dana White bashed Woodley all the time because he's like, Woodley fights so slow and and methodical. And, you know, he's, he's picking his opportunity and, and, you know, picking his chance to strike and guys wouldn't want to close that distance. They wouldn't want to close that gap because They knew that, okay, one punch from Woodley could put me out or there's takedowns coming all that. So a lot of Woodley's MMA fights were super slow, you know, really measured, waiting for the right opportunity. Boxing matches aren't really like that because they rely just more on like head movement. You know that they're going to be striking, you know, you've really only got two ways that it's coming, you know, it's either coming from the left or coming for the right. And granted, there's different angles, uppercuts, you know, hooks, things like that to the body, to the head. But there's really only, like I said, two ways that it's coming. It's either going to be left or it's going to be right. And so with boxing matches, I think Jake Paul has gotten used to the pace of boxing. And I don't know if Woodley has when it comes to being a striker. Like I said, Woodley, for a lot of times, he's been able to slow down the pace in striking in MMA. Can you do that in a boxing match? I don't know. And that is the one area where I will say that maybe Paul has some favorability right there.
0: I mean, he did look pretty bad in his last few fights. I remember watching some of his most recent and whew, they, were, they were rough watches. You talk about that slow methodical pace. He just never got it going in those fights at any point. It was just like, okay, dude, the, the fight started like a couple rounds ago. Let's get into this. And um, you kind of understand uh, Dana White's frustrations a little bit. Okay, Dre, well, we've talked about people being done. We've talked about people coming in in good shape and bad shape. That brings me to your football team. We just got a photo from camp of Ben Roethlisberger looking pretty skinny. I got to look what diet plan he's getting on. Do you think he got on that tb 12? Is that what's going on here? Because big Ben uh, slimming down. He looks like the next Lamar Jackson out of the AFC North. Uh, What do you make of, uh, I don't know. Can we call him big Ben anymore? Or is uh, is it medium Ben? Ben? Ben. Slim Ben? Slim Ben? That's what we're going with? Slim Ben Roethlisberger at age 39? Leading the Pittsburgh Steelers to a division title?
1: How about it? I don't know. To be honest, I don't think like him getting in in better shape, I don't know how much it really is going to help. And so you and I, you know, we talked a little bit before the show on this is that Big Ben's sort of bread and butter throughout his career has always been, I'll just stand in the pocket and I'll take three guys to take me down just because I'm, you know, Big Ben, I'm gigantic. No bread and butter though. And it's a no carb diet. Man. It's a no carb diet. That is true. No potatoes either, <laughs> that stuff. Um, so for somebody that's relied on that being his style for so long, is it good to change that, you know, at what he's 39 years old. So his age 39 season, like, I don't know how effective it's going to be. And yeah, maybe it makes Ben a little bit more mobile, but he's not, like I said, used to playing that style of, of, of quarterback, you know? And so somebody that's not used to that style of play, I don't know if it makes them any better. And then you combine that with Our line got worse for sure, our offensive line. Like maybe you can say like, yeah, it'll help him scramble because our line got worse. So at least he'll be able to to run away for a little bit. But I just don't know if it's really going to elevate the Steelers play, especially like I said, in in Big Ben's age 39 season, I just worry that like one, he just doesn't have the skill to be able to get us over the hump. The other thing you got to worry about with Ben is like, even at his big size, he was still sort of injury prone and you know he would go one year where he would not get injured and play you know all 16 games now we have an extended season and you know that he gets injured like all the time and so having even just that one more game and he's he's thinner and smaller like i just think that it could you know actually be a recipe for disaster more than you know success i think there's some some bright spots with the steelers you know Najee Harris and, and all of that but like i'm i'm happy that football is back i'll watch I think we're just right at the moment the way that the team is constructed and the way like that our front office has been operating, we're just sort of perennial gatekeepers. Like we'll probably make the playoffs, and that'll be great. Will we ever make it to the Super Bowl? Probably not at the at the rate things are going. Not until we start seeing probably bigger shakeups. Wow,
0: well, you just called your Steelers
1: the Cowboy Cerrone of the NFL, huh? Basically, that's where we're at right now. You know, and we've we've had great years. I mean, obviously we got the got six rings. But that's basically what we are. We're, we're perennial gatekeepers at the moment. And like I said, until we shake things up, I can't see us making it back to the championship. I'm
0: going to give you a okay. fun exercise here. Uh, okay. I'm going to go through the teams in your division, and I want you to compare them to a current MMA fighter. Okay. Let's start off first with Ooh. the Bengals. The Bengals.
1: Oh, man. They're...
0: They got that's a easy. young quarterback in Joe Burrow. So maybe may be on the rise here. But they've Burl gone through a few say. rough years, so maybe a learning patch
1: there. You know, if, if Burrow hadn't gotten hurt, I would say Brandon Moreno might be too gracious to them. Because Moreno, you know, he's, he's the new flyweight champion, and he went through a big rough patch, even got kicked out of the UFC, and then got back and then became a champion. So the Bengals aren't technically right there yet because, you know, they've still been pretty bad. And with Burrow getting hurt, who knows what they're going to be like um, and so I, I guess I have to lean with they—they've they've just been bad. So if I had to, oh, maybe they're—I don't know, Juju, Who's a who's an MMA fighter that was just bad all around? Maybe they're
0: yeah. bad all around. Ben just Askren. All, no, I'm kidding.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe maybe they're a Ben Askren, right? Like it's just like they're like maybe there's some bright spots with Joe Burrow, and you're like, oh, okay, I could maybe there's see some something.
0: potential there. I think yeah. would be kind of like one of those kind of things that you could throw at them as like an opportunity for them to succeed maybe in years down the road. So maybe an ascending star, do you have an ascending star in mind?
1: Uh, an ascending star, it's like I said, the only one that, that I can think of right now is Brandon Moreno. And that's a little bit still too gracious. I think Askren was actually maybe a good one, but okay. even Askren had success in one though. So it's a little bit hard cause they like the Bengals have just not been successful. They've we'll been
0: that. to a couple Super Bowls. They just happen to lose both to the 49ers. So, you know, yeah. they've taken a few flying knees to the face from time to time. Yeah, actually, they I think to they, actually, they literally have, though. Think about that. Remember when AB just absolutely demolished that poor guy on that punt return or <laughs> kick return?
1: Yeah, just stepped on his face. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah, exactly. Just did a flying Spartan kick to him. Yeah. So, technically, so. they have seen a flying leg to the face a couple times okay yeah
1: maybe like that's more appropriate then
0: maybe maybe that's the case okay so we joked but Cowboys are owning your Steelers I mean I, I guess I, aging team veteran team yeah you know, I think
1: so okay that's, that's the, one you I can roll th- with I think at this point that's what I would roll with probably
0: okay let's say the Browns so bad for years awful for years but suddenly, they're good again. People are talking about them as a championship-level organization. Who fits that mold?
1: Yeah, no. And, and maybe, maybe they're actually more of the Brandon Moreno. So we said Askren for the, you know, for the Bengals, and so the Browns might actually fit the Brandon Moreno mold. Because like I said, he, he had his shot, I think, on the Ultimate Fighter, made it to the UFC, got cut, had to work his way back up. And now, like, everybody loves him. He just won the championship he's scrappy and so i think that that would actually probably be a better fit
0: Cheeto vera too also had a pretty rough patch as well in the ufc if i'm not mistaken is at a championship tier so i mean hey you know that's also potentially a comp there yeah okay let's it. talk about the last year's uh, division winners then uh the ravens or actually no they were the wild card. you guys won the division right we won the division and then we we sucked after that. <laughs> okay, it just how that season went. You would, you know, it feels yeah. as though you guys didn't win the division, but you did just because you had that hot start. But
1: okay, yeah, exactly. You know, We're... since it's the slump buster, right? And we've got you know a, a woman as our as our logo. I'll just say we blew our load early. You know, that's ah, basically okay.
0: It. We busted the slump all right the yeah, we, we busted <laughs> the, Steelers the slum busted little the slum <laughs> early in the season no the Steelers went into a slump that's what really went wrong there <laughs>
1: yeah they needed to bust slump. The slum. <laughs> yeah
0: they should have busted around January that's what should have happened there
1: yeah exactly
0: okay well let's see here the Ravens goes in out there so smash mouth you know this team wants to punch you in the mouth uh yeah that They're not a lot of finesse, not a lot of skill going on, just power. What, the, what do you think of this team here? What's that comp for the Ravens?
1: Yeah, so, so this one, it might be... Always comes
0: like, up short, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they do always come up short. I, I'm thinking, it's hard to say, maybe like a Forrest Griffin. I know that's sort of a throwback and it's not current. But like Forrest Griffin, he actually did win the championship. And, and the Ravens have, have a few championships. Um, But you knew that Forrest Griffin was always going to be exciting. He was always going to be scrappy. Uh, the game passed him up, though. Like, you know, there was better technicians that eventually came around and all that. But, like, you were always going to tune into a Forrest Griffin fight. Like, you always knew, like like I said, he was going to scrap. And I think it's the same with the Ravens. They could be the worst team on paper, and they will still show up. And you know that it's going to be a scrappy football game.
0: It was actually a fun exercise. Just kind of found it down on the fly
1: works yeah you know maybe maybe we'll have to do that some more maybe i'll, I'll expand go it and... out
0: to all 30 teams right? all 32 teams yeah you know drop that I think, in the I think... comments below if you like that segment definitely drop that in the comments below i want to know if we can flesh this one out a little bit that was just ad-libbing purely okay well you know i hey, listen so i mean the team uh the stillers as a whole uh i did like the Najee harris pickup i think that was very good for the team you can expect devin bush is going to be back he did lose bud dupree and free agency And he did mention the losses on the offensive line between DeCastro and Pouncey retiring Uh, a lot of turnover for the Steelers, but in general, having the consistency of Mike Tomlin and for all his faults, a hall of fame quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger. I think that will keep the Steelers viable. I will never look at the Steelers and think this is a seven and nine team or ai guess seven and 10 team or a six and 11 football organization because of the way they conduct themselves The Browns are still too fresh. They had that good year last year, so it's hard for me to buy fully into them without just kind of giving some credence to their recent history. I do have to keep that in mind. There's still some question marks with Baker Mayfield. The Ravens, they are a well-run machine. I think Lamar Jackson's always going to keep them viable in games, give them a chance to win games. And I think that the record at the end of the year is always going to be as long as they got that combination of players, coaches, I think they will always be a playoff team. It's just for them, the question mark, can they take that next step? Get over that hump. I, I think what a lot of Steelers fans are really worried about is do we have the worst quarterback in the division now with Joe Burrow, with Baker Mayfield, with Lamar Jackson, this youth movement going on. And I, I do think that that is one of the biggest uh, concerns that someone like yourself is experiencing here, but I think, you know, the fact that Ben took this offseason seriously, I think it's a good thing. I I think that it's good for the organization uh, because you look at a guy like Tom Brady, one of his big things is pliability, being flexible. I don't know if you necessarily need to be that big physical quarterback that Ben was back in the day because defenders can't be as rough for quarterbacks anymore. I I think that that is to advantage. Yes, when you scramble outside the pockets, it's anyone's game you're subject to any uh punishment you face when you escape that pocket but as long as he stays in in there you know completes those shorts 10 yard routes those check downs those slants that they were doing last year and they could balance it out with a good running game and Najee harris this year who knows what's going to happen with the line but i feel as though the stillers coaching staff is good at coaching up offensive line because all these guys too they, they didn't start off from a place of strength uh Villanueva was another loss too on the offensive line this year as well. Um, They were coached up. They were homegrown products. So I think that that coaching staff can uh, make them. So I'm giving you a little bit of optimism here, basically, Dre. I think that your team is still going to be a playoff team, especially with the 17 playoff format. You're right. I don't look at them as a Super Bowl team, but that's more so because the Kansas City Chiefs exist. And it's hard for me to look at any team as a Super Bowl favorite coming out of the AFC as long as the Kansas City Chiefs are there, as long as that quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is still sleeping the rock for them.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I, I think we'll make the playoffs, even with our division getting tougher. So our division might be the toughest in the AFC. I know there's that that West is pretty tough still. I think, you know, like I said, I think we're just going to make the playoffs. And if we make it to, you know, the, the, the AFC finals and the AFC championship, I'm satisfied with that. I don't think that we're going to be Super Bowl contenders. And, you know, Juju, you, you talk about the youth movement that's going on, you know, in our division. And I think that's a big, a big factor is what is going to be our, our answer to once Big Ben leaves. Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> we haven't been able to find that answer. I don't think Dwayne Haskins is it. Didn't he get arrested or something too?
0: Yeah, it's been or, No, it was he got assaulted by his uh wife, baby mama
1: or whatever, Ish. wife, yeah.
0: Rough so. incident. Not a great week for a Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback there.
1: No, I mean and and that's the thing is we've we've tried so many, you know, so many times to find an answer for what do we do life after Big Ben? And, and we just haven't been able to find that. And it's unfortunate. And, and granted, we've also been drafting quarterbacks later in the draft or we're trying to pick up people's seconds, right? Like a Dwayne Haskins. And, and so maybe, you know, we have to bite the bullet. And if we get a good enough draft pick, maybe we take a, a, a first round quarterback or something. Um, but that's the other thing that's difficult is we're never going to be at the top of the first round either because we perennially, like I said, make the playoffs. And I'll take that over perennial losers any day of the week. Trust me. But yeah, we're, we're sort of just stuck in this limbo where I don't know if we'll ever get a good enough talent at quarterback to replace Big Ben just because we consistently win. But that means we'll also never win the championship. And that's OK, though. Like that, there's only one champion per year anyways. So I'll take it.
0: You have such a way of looking at life, Dre, that uh, <laughs> it's so even killed. But I think that's also saying you have seen your Steelers win two Super Bowls in your lifetime. I've seen my Niners lose two Super Bowls in my lifetime. So you can afford to be a little bit, ah, you know, if they win, they fine. It's like one champion each year. But I'm just internally burning inside. I'm like, I'm just thinking on oh, the six-yard line against the Ravens, up 20 to 10 with seven minutes to go. Dre's over here talking about, ah, you lose the Super Bowl, eh, whatever. You know, it's no big deal. What, you know, Dre, I'm hurt now. I I, I think I'm, you, you, thanks, Dre. You have to end this podcast on such a negative note. God, I'm bless.
1: sorry, dude. This is what privilege this is. Our is this is sports privilege at its
0: finest. Sports you know. privilege. You have the Lakers, you have the Steelers here. You don't even have, well, at least, at least you took a concession on your baseball team by picking the Angels and not the Dodgers. So at least yeah, you said, exactly. you know what? I, I'm going to handicap myself a little bit here and take the most mediocre baseball team I possibly could. So See, you
1: can't say that I'm a bandwagon fan with that one.
0: You know, like, <laughs> I certainly can. I certainly can. But anyway, Dre, you know, it was good having you on, man. But uh, thank you for swinging by. Before this was just the Slump Buster, it was the Slump Buster with Juju and Dre. And, uh, you're as big a part of making this thing a thing as possible. So whatever you're working on, obviously you're working on getting married. So congratulations to you. Congratulations on your nice, beautiful house. You know, if I'm ever in Albuquerque, you know, we're going to do some live recordings. If there's a big UFC fight, you know, that's going to happen. Uh, closing thoughts.
1: Big no, I just, Yeah. I just want to say, you know, thank you again, Juju, for, for inviting me back onto the pod. And so, um, and, and everybody else at the Slump Buster. So we've got so many guys that, that have made it successful and it is what it is. And, and we've gotten you know, sponsorships and we've met some really cool people that we got to talk to. And so I've just appreciated still being a part of the journey of the Slump Buster and I'm excited for where it's going. Um, so best of luck to you, Juju uh, and to all of our listeners as always. Thank you. We, we appreciate you.
0: All right, guys, while you're listening... Did a hundred episodes we got a hundred more coming a thousand more coming and we want you to be a part of that ride so you got to hit that subscribe button you got to leave that five star review on itunes leave a like on this video if you're watching on youtube leave us a comment let us know what you think tell us some of the good things we are doing some of the things we could do be be doing better let us know in the comments below uh check out our partner cavemancoffeeco.com come on don't be a chump use promo code slump and save on your next purchase of delicious cold brew coffee from Caveman coffeeco.com promo code slump guys i need to stay safe happy and healthy and we'll see on episode 101